If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke, if you would. Luke chapter 19, and we will begin in verse 1 in just a moment. Luke 19 and verse 1. And today's account is, is really pretty well known. In fact, many of us probably grew up seeing a song about one of the main characters, that being Zacchaeus. And what can you tell me about Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And uh, no, we can't just go home now because we've, we've done the Bible. So, um, but that is, that is the main thing that we know about him. We know that he was vertically impaired. He was short. Um, and we know he climbed up in a sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus. But there is a lot more to the story than that. And, and, and that does kind of, I mean, that is a pretty good summary of what happened. But as we work our way through this, I think you'll see that there's actually quite a bit in this, uh, in this little vignette from Christ's life that uh, has something to say to us today. Now, I know you just got to sit down, but if you uh, are able to and, and would, I'd like you to say in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in, uh, in verse 1 and read down to verse 10. It says, He, being Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man uh, called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see, in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Now, there are three main things I want you to see out of the text today. The first is his station. His station. His station in life. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus was entering into and was passing through Jericho. Now, now you remember what we looked at last week because we're working our way through this. At the end of uh, Luke 18, we have a, a man by the name of, of Bartimaeus. Uh, he was a blind man, and he was stationed and he lived in Jericho. Now, this was not the same Jericho that we read about in the Old Testament that was destroyed in the conquest of Canaan. You remember that was destroyed uh, as Joshua and the Israelites marched around the wall and all that. But, but this was rebuilt later by Herod the Great, about a mile from its original spot. And, um, and, and, and the original city had homes and buildings all crammed in together. You think about a big city, you go in, and, and you know everything's all asphalt and concrete. There are buildings everywhere. That's kind of the way it was at Jericho, just, I mean, much, much, um, the building materials would be much different, but it was kind of that environment back then in, in the Old Testament Jericho. But this Jericho was, was, was much more spacious. Things were much more spread out. There were parks and, uh, and trees and things like that, and of course that will come into play later. Now, as I said before, Jericho is where blind Bartimaeus had been, and that's where he had been healed. And so all these people are already going to Jerusalem. They're passing through Jericho to go to Jerusalem for the Passover, but also the, there's this swell of people that are following Jesus excitedly as he has just healed Bartimaeus. Now, one of the things I want you to pay attention to as, as we work our way through the text is the means that God uses to draw his people to himself. 
the means that God uses to draw His people to Himself. God orchestrates all of history down to the smallest detail in order to accomplish His will, which includes the salvation of His people. But I also want you to notice how this is living out what Jesus has just taught in Luke chapter 18, after, after the rich young ruler and that whole event. Now, looking in at verse 2, it says, There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, it just so happens that in this city where Jesus was, there was this man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a Hebrew name. It means pure or just. No, no, no doubt his parents had high hopes for him. They thought he was going to be a, a, a well-loved, a well-respected child. But the Bible says he was a, two things about him. Number one, he was a chief tax collector. And number two, he was rich. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, we've met tax collectors before in the text. And so, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But you remember, they were the outsiders. They didn't fit in with society. They, 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 were, they were the outcasts. They were the scum of the earth. They were the dregs of society. But Jesus welcomed these men into the kingdom. In fact, uh, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, the, the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, was a tax collector. And Jesus changed his life and brought him into the kingdom. But you'll notice that verse 2 does not say he was a tax collector. What does it say? It says he was a chief tax collector. In other words, you know, there, there's, always, there's always somebody higher up the food chain than you are. Well, there are tax collectors. Those are the guys that went out and actually got the money from the people. But then there's somebody above them, the chief tax collectors. They were the ones who managed the tax collectors. They were the ones who, who farmed it out, essentially. They were the ones who hired the tax collectors. And so the tax collectors, I mean, none of us here likes paying taxes, right? I mean, and, and it's bad enough having to send the money in. But if somebody were to come to your home and stood on your porch and suck out their hand, and you had to give them the money, that person would be extremely unpopular, right? That's what the tax collectors did. And so they were very disliked. They were, the, they, they were considered turncoats and all the rest. And the chief tax collectors were no better. They were despised as well. And so this man, he was, he was on the outskirts of society. Everybody hated him. And the second thing it says, not only was he a chief tax collector, but he was rich, and we've talked about the avarice of the tax collectors in the past. Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But they got rich off of, off of pilfering from their countrymen. And so this guy got where he was by defrauding, by manipulating, by theft, by all those things. And he got up top. He got rich doing these things. Now understand, the Bible does not condemn money. It does not condemn wealth. It does not condemn being wealthy. But it does condemn the love of money. It does condemn trusting in money. It does condemn putting wealth before God. But it doesn't condemn being wealthy. Now, you might look at this and say, you know what, this guy, kind of unsavable. This guy is, is, is maybe beyond the scope of God's grace. Why? Well, because, number one, he's a ranked sinner. Nobody likes him. I mean, the, the religious people of the day would have looked at him and shunned him and said, sorry, you can't come in. You can't get into God's kingdom. But the good thing is, and, and maybe some of us here today feel the same way. We feel like, like, like we're too bad of sinners. We've gone too far. N nobody knows what we've done except for God, and, and He can't forgive us. But I want to tell you that no matter what, what sin you've committed, there's grace sufficient to cover that sin. Paul, when he talked about 
when he talked about sin and grace and those things, remember Paul didn't start out as an apostle. He started out as a murderer. He used to, he used to hunt Christians down and kill them. And when he talked about grace and, and sin, he said where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Grace literally super abounded. It, it overflowed. It, it more than covered his sin. And so don't let, don't let this idea that, that you are, are too bad to come to God, don't let that keep you from coming to God. Because there's grace sufficient for your sin. But on top of that, it says that he was rich. Now, again, the Bible doesn't say that you're going to hell if you have money. But I, I mention this because in Luke chapter 18, there's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. And remember, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say? He says, keep the commandments. He says, oh, I've done that, which he hadn't. But he says, I've done that. He says, one thing you like, sell everything you have, uh, give to the poor and come follow me. The man chooses to go back to his wealth instead of going after Christ. And Jesus turns to his disciples, turns to those around as, as this rich man walks away from the kingdom. And he says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The point being that with man, that is impossible. And so we look at this and we say, this man must be beyond saving. This man is a sinner. He's rich. Jesus has just said, last chapter, that it's an impossibility with man. So here we have his station. Next I want you to see his stature. His stature. Look at verses 3 and following. Now, it just so happened that Zacchaeus lived in this city where Jesus was traveling. And it just so happened that he was in town the same time Jesus was. And it just so happened that he was near enough to Jesus to try and see him. And it just so happened he was really short. Now, I, I mentioned that last thing because the other things we look at and we say, okay, well, I can see how that's providentially ordained by God. I can see where you know, God's causing these paths to cross. But I, want, I, I say even his height was providential. Now, we don't know exactly how tall or how short he was, but considering this is, he, he was short by ancient Mediterranean standards, he was probably less than five foot tall. I mean, he, he was not a towering giant. And, and because of that, that's what caused him to climb the tree that whenever Jesus came by, he looked up and it was real conspicuous. I mean, if you're walking along and you see a kid sitting on a tree branch swinging his legs, you don't think anything about it. But if you see a full-grown man sitting in a tree branch, that's going to stand out. And because of his shortness, that led him to climb the tree, that led Jesus to look up at him and have this conversation with him, which led to his salvation. Now, the sycamore, you might be thinking about the sycamore tree and, and the great big leaves. And, and I mean, some of the sycamores are great big. I mean, they're real tall, and they don't have branches real low. And you think, well, how could he shimmy up that tree so easily? This in the sycamore like we have over here is more akin to a fig tree. And it had low, sprawling branches that even somebody that was not all that tall could grab hold of and climb up on. Now, once you look at verse 4, the reason he ran ahead and climbed up in the tree was not to get saved. He went because he was curious. He went because he wanted to see who this Jesus guy was. Now listen, many people out and out rejected Christ. Many people did not even bother to attend to him or his preaching. But this man did. His curiosity 
led to his salvation. Again, God is working all things after the counsel of his will. Even, even this man's personality, even his curiosity, God used that to bring him to faith. So we see his station, we see his stature. Next, finally, I want you to see his salvation. His salvation. When Jesus got to the place where Zacchaeus was, and, and I, I won't just stop there for a minute. It just so happened that Jesus and Zacchaeus were in the same town at the same time. And it just so happened that there was a tree next to the road. And it just so happened that nobody cut off those low branches that very well may have been in the way, but they provide a perfect ladder for him to climb up. And it just so happened that this tree was further on up the road than Jesus was. Listen, this is not by chance. This is what you call a divine appointment. And for all his life, Zacchaeus was under the watchful eye of God. As God worked in his experiences, as God worked in his disposition, his interactions with others, his parents, his friends, his enemies, and all the rest to culminate in this moment in time. And not only that, but think about it. God nurtured and protected that tree. When they were, when they were making that road, God influenced those builders to build the road over here and not over here where the tree was. He, he kept it, even, even though it's arid and dry over there, he made sure it had all the sunshine, all the water, all the nutrients it needed to grow and to stay alive. The same could be true, uh, the same could be said of the tree that Jesus died upon. Think about that. The Creator ensured and, and nurtured the tree that Jesus died upon. Listen, God is involved in all the details of all of our lives working to bring about His will. He did it with Zacchaeus in order to bring about His salvation. And I want to tell you that, that today God is at work in your life. Sometimes we look at it and we say, well, I, I don't see how that's the case. I mean, I've got this going on. I have this sickness. I have this family situation. I have this work situation. I don't see how God is at work in any of it. And the, the fact of the matter is, He's at work in all of it. Even if you don't see it. You think that, that the people who walk by that sycamore tree, it, let's say this happened on, a, on a, a, a Tuesday, you think that when they, they went by on Monday, they said, you know what? I bet God's going to use that tree so somebody can get saved tomorrow. No, it's just an old tree. It's just a, a normal tree. They've been by it a, a hundred times. It, it was just the normal part of life. And God works in those, those normal details to bring about His will. He is at work in your life. Every experience that you have, every moment that you're alive, from, from the place you were born to the details of your life, including how tall or short you are. He is working in all those things. It is His divine will that you are here today. You didn't come by accident. You came because this is a divine appointment. God is at work even when you can't see Him. And it may be that, that today, like Zacchaeus, maybe he's brought you to this moment for your salvation. Maybe he brought you here today so that you could hear the gospel and be saved. Well, look at, look at how Zacchaeus responded to the call. Jesus comes to the place where Zacchaeus is. He looks up at him, and what does he say? What, what's the first word he says? Zacchaeus. 
There were no introductions. Think about that. There were no introductions. He didn't say, hey, hey, filler, come on down here. What's your name? Tell me more about yourself. Where do you work? Who are your parents? Where do you live? He comes to him and he knows exactly who he is. No introductions needed. He is filled with the omniscience of God because he is God in the flesh. He calls him by name. They never met before. It reminds me of John 10, 3. Jesus talking about being the, the good shepherd. And his sheep, he, or his, his people, he, he likens to sheep. And in John 10, 3, it says in part, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. When Jesus calls and draws to salvation, he, he does so by name. He does it personally. He does it individually. He, does it, he, he doesn't call you into some amorphous, vague, nameless group. He calls his own sheep by name. The Bible says his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And I just want to ask you, is, is Christ calling you to salvation? Is he calling your name today? You're not going to hear a voice from heaven. But is he calling you today? Maybe, maybe as a Christian, he's calling you to some sort of vocational service or vocational ministry. If so, he's calling you by name. He calls to Zacchaeus, says, hurry up, come on down. I'm going to your house. I'm going to tell you something. I don't like when people invite themselves over to my house. Because I know I'm going to have to keep them out on the porch. You can't come in our house. You, you, if you come in our house, you're going to fall over. all. We've got toys everywhere. I mean, it's just, it's just a wreck. You've got to do, I don't know, you've got to do gymnastics to get through the, the hallway sometimes. Jesus invited himself over, and Zacchaeus was glad of it. He was glad that this man, the, the, this, this man he had never met before, but yet knew him by name, he, he invited himself over. Zacchaeus heard that call. He, he, he welcomed him into his home. And what did what the people around that saw it all do? They said, he is going to stay at a sinner's house. And they weren't saying, good job, Jesus. Man, I'm so glad that this Jesus guy is, is going to a sinner's house. The Bible says they grumbled. They're a bunch of Baptists, I think. They, they, were, they were unhappy. They complained. This is the same... This is the same accusation the scribes and Pharisees had made about him a few chapters back. He eats and drinks with sinners. He's a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad he is? Because if he wasn't, none of us could go to heaven. But clearly, there's a change in this man's heart. He welcomes Jesus into his home. And as they're going, look at what he does. He stops and he vows. Look what it says in verses... uh, um, Oh, I'm, I'm, I've lost it. Eight. Thank you. So Zacchaeus stops and he, he makes a promise to the Lord. Lord, I will give half of my belongings to the poor. I'll make fourfold restitution of anybody I've defrauded. Now, back when we looked at the rich young ruler and his interaction with Jesus, you remember I, I, I mentioned that some people want to make his words, the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. They want to make that a universal blanket command. But yet, we see here that's not the case because this man, Jesus doesn't call him to sell everything that he has, even though he's wealthy as well. He doesn't call him to do that. And this man, 
gives half of what he's uh, of his possessions to the poor, and Jesus is half uh, is happy with that. It is this this go sell everything is not a universal command. But but notice what he promises. Not only is he going to be generous in his in his giving, notice it says that he will give four times as much in restitution where he's defrauded somebody. Now in the Old Testament law, if you stole something from somebody, say some, some money or, or a cow or whatever it was, when you made restitution, you had to do yeah, you had to restore what you had taken plus twenty percent. This man says, I'm not gonna do twenty I'm not gonna do hundred and twenty percent, I'm gonna do four hundred percent. I'm going to go above and beyond. In other words, I'm guilty and I know it. And I'm going to make good on it. And I think this highlights that when a person is saved, it changes their whole being. It changes their desires. It changes the things that make them happy. It, 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 changes, it changes the way they handle money. It, it changes every little, every little thing. And if you believe yourself to be a Christian and there's never been a change in your life, you need to get that sorted out with God immediately. Because it always results in a change. Zacchaeus became a, a cheerful giver. He, 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 he made restitution above and beyond what he had to do. And notice verse 9 what it says. It says salvation has come to his house. Not because he's, he's given the money. He's given the money and, and having this change because salvation has come. In other words, he's working from his salvation, not for his salvation. He's, the salvation didn't come because, because Zacchaeus earned it but rather his heart changed, and that came out in the way that he behaved, the way that he acted. He said, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, he was already descendant of Abraham according to the flesh, because he's, he's a Jewish man, but now he shares the faith of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 says, Therefore, be sure that those who are of the faith... Are, who, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And here's the point of it all. Here's where the, the title of the message comes from. Verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring salvation to Zacchaeus. And he came to bring salvation to all who would call upon his name. It doesn't matter if it was... In, in Bible times, it doesn't matter if it's modern day. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And, and notice that Jesus does not say, I came to find the lost. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I've come to identify the lost. I didn't come to locate the lost. He says, I came to rescue the lost. He doesn't come and say, okay, you're in a bad spot. There's where you need to be. Best of luck to you. No, Jesus didn't come on a finding mission. He came on a rescue mission. And listen, apart from Christ today, you are lost. And the thing about being lost is sometimes you don't even know you're lost until later. A while back we were going from point A to point B, and I was sure that I was headed the right direction. And we kept driving, and I knew that we should be getting to where we were headed, and we weren't there. But, you know, I'm hard-headed. So I just kept driving. And I kept going that same direction because I was sure I was headed the right way. But somehow I got and kind of turned around. And it wasn't until later I figured out I've been lost a long time. Now, I didn't feel lost. 
But my feelings didn't determine my location. It, it, it wasn't that I was in the right place because I felt it. It didn't matter what I felt, I was in the wrong place. And the same is true spiritually. You can, be, you, you can feel all good and warm and fuzzy and not have existential dread and still be lost. Because the Bible says that apart from Jesus Christ, you stand condemned already because you've not believed on the Son of God. And, and you may believe, you know what, I know where I am, I'm on the right road. But if you don't have Jesus in your life in a saving way, you are lost. Jesus came to seek and to save you. Apart from knowing Jesus, you're lost and the road that you're on will lead you to hell. But Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to reach down. And if you'll grab hold of Him by, with, with the hand of faith, if you will put your trust in Him, He won't just point you in the right direction. He will rescue you. He will save you. He will forgive you of your sins. He will take you to heaven. If, if you will trust Christ even today, you will be saved today. Listen, there's a word in here for us as, as believers as well. Because we look at this and we see how, how God had orchestrated all these different events, all the different details of Zacchaeus' life to bring him to a point of salvation. And we can look at that and say amen to that and, and be thankful for that. But listen, he is just as much involved in our lives today as he was in Zacchaeus's back then. He is involved in all of our situations to providentially bring about His will. The good, the bad, the ugly, the good times and the bad. He's at work in those things to mold us after His likeness. Listen, there's no such thing as wasted pain. God uses everything, good and bad, to make us more like Christ. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. Now as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just I just want to ask you, right where you are, are you going to heaven? I hope so. I think so. I don't know. Why would God let you into heaven? Why would a perfect, holy, just God, who cannot look on sin with approval, why would He let you into heaven? If your answer is anything, but because you have a personal saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ you're putting your faith in the wrong thing your good works don't save you your church attendance doesn't save you reading your Bible doesn't save you giving to the, the, to the needy doesn't save you the only thing the only way to be right with God is through Jesus Christ and today, if you'll trust in Him, if you will not just believe that He is, but believe that, that, that He can and will save you, if you'll put your faith in Him, He will save you. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Heavenly Father, thank You that You have 
done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You have reached down and you have chosen to save willful, rebellious, wicked sinners. People who shake our fists in the, in the face of heaven's king. Those of us who have, who have committed cosmic treason. You still have condescended to save us. And we know it's all of grace. And it's for your glory. And God, I ask that if there's somebody here or maybe somebody that's, that's uh, listening at, at some later time, another place, and you're speaking to them right now and drawing them to salvation, God, I pray that you would let them find space for repentance. God, I pray that you would save them, that you would draw them, that they would turn from their sin and put their faith in you. And God, for those of us who are Christians, maybe we are going through a situation where we feel like you've abandoned us, you've turned your back on us, you don't know what's going on or you don't care if you do. God, help us to not, help us to not have that type of an attitude, but to realize that in all things, you work all things after the counsel of your will, the good and the bad. God, we ask that you would do your will in our, our presence today, in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen.